Hello, and welcome to the Knits Beyond Normal podcast. I'm Kate, and you are listening to episode 18, and welcome to the show. If you're a new listener, I'm so glad to have you with me. This is a weekly podcast where I talk about knitting, yarn, zombies and dragons, and other geeky things. If you hear something you're interested in, you can check out my blog at knitsbeyondnormal.blogspot.com. You can find show notes there and links to things I might talk about. I have a new group on Ravelry for listeners where we can chat about different things I mentioned on the show or we can exchange ideas or talk about fandom theories. You can just search Knits Beyond Normal in the Groups tab on Ravelry if you're a member. I try to release episodes on Wednesdays, although sometimes that doesn't always happen, like this week, depending on on life and the curveballs it throws. You can subscribe through iTunes to get updates, and if you want to email me, you can do so at knitsbeyondnormal at gmail.com. So let's jump into the show with our first segment, Knitting Patterns and Projects Oh My. So in the last like week and a half since I recorded, I did finish a little uh, beanie to finish off the baby set that I knit the week before, which was the Young Einstein pattern by Julia Stanfield. And I have mentioned in previous shows, if you are a new listener, that there are a lot of babies joining the world related to my social circle. Different relatives and friends, friends of friends. There are a lot of a lot of new babies going to be joining us soon. So I have been commissioned to make several different kinds of little baby gifts. So I have been stockpiling them because some parents know the gender of their little ones that are coming and some don't. So one of the babies um, in my social expanded circle did join the world recently. So congrats to you out there on your new bundle of joy. You know who you are. And I fell in love with a new pattern while I was killing time on Ravelry one afternoon this week. Now, those of you who are Ravelers, do you do this? Like, do you start looking at patterns and then suddenly look up and you've wasted like an hour and a half to two hours where you could have been knitting, but instead you were surfing through patterns? I know this happens to me fairly frequently, especially like when I'm having trouble sleeping. It tends to just suck time away. It's like falling down the rabbit hole. But anyway, so while while digging through pages of patterns, I fell in love with a baby cardigan pattern that I just had to purchase and start working on for one of these little babies coming. The pattern's called Minet, which is spelled M-E-N-E-T, and it's by a designer named Mindy Talek. It's a DK weight baby cardigan with a very cool slip stitch garter yoke pattern. And this just seemed like a really neat way to combine colors, and I have some colors in my stash that just leaped out and screamed to do this when I saw the picture. So I'm casting this on, and it I'm currently working through the yoke, and I'm paying attention to the pattern as I go. The colors I'm doing this in are a Madeline Tosh, of course, DK Twist yarn, which I have so much of in my stash, and that is doing in the main color of Smokestack, which is a very light gray, and it's left over from the other project I was recently working on. And then I am using two other colors. One was a uh, one-of-a-kind color that's a light blue and then one was a very, very light pink, which I believe was called stucco. And when I say light pink, I mean very light. It's almost like an off-white towards the pink tint. And so far, the, the slip stitch pattern with the colors to the top looks really cool. So I'm really excited to get through this and see what it's going to look like. It's a little slow going in the yoke part because you're switching colors so frequently. But once you get past the yoke, it looks like it's just stockinette for the body and sleeve. So I'm sure it'll fly. So I will update you on that next week. And as I finally started a sock. Now, if you've been listening to me since the beginning, I probably mentioned this here and there, that there are so many beautiful yarns out there, so many indie dyers that are so talented, and a lot of them like to dye on sock yarn. 
And I've seen so many cool socks. I listen to other knitting podcasters that talk about knitting socks. And this has always been one of those things that I wanted to do, but just for whatever reason, every time I tried, the fates just didn't align. And it was, the sock would be too big, too small, it wouldn't fit, I wouldn't be able to figure out how to do the heel, it would be, the gauge would be too loose, and it, it just, like, never worked. But Every time I see sock yarn, I'm like, I want to make socks out of that. So I'm determined to get through my block on socks. And I cast on a sock. I found a very, very simple pattern, which, um, let's see, it, it is a very simple pattern that I found on Ravelry. And I, is a plain, plain sock. And it's, it's a toe-up sock, so meaning I cast on the toe first. And then you basically... The way you do this one is you cast on the toe, you do the increases towards the foot, you knit the foot, and then you put you use waist yarn to hold stitches to do the heel after you finish the rest of the sock. I'm this might be called an afterthought heel. I'm going to have to do a little bit more sock research. I don't quite know all the terms just yet. But the pattern was easy to follow. It looked extremely simple. I got out a very small circular needle to do this in magic loop and because juggling multiple needles for me never worked either. So we're going to try to figure out how to do magic loop socks. And I am currently, I have gotten past the part where you put the heel stitches on waist yarn. And now I am working up and around the leg of the sock. So wish me luck. Hopefully the heel won't be too crazy difficult. And I will be able to get past this sock block. So I am using a yarn, which is from a dyer on Etsy. She's called the Lemonade Shop. And I mentioned this yarn quite a long time ago because I, I bought it when the Madeline Tosh online shop was showcasing this dyer's yarn and selling them through there. And it's called Stormy Day, and it's a light gray that has little streaks of rainbow going through it, and it's awesome. Seeing the little strips of rainbow come up as you're knitting is just fun, and I have a feeling these are going to be very cute socks. So, fingers crossed that I will complete my first pair of socks. So far, it's going well. And on to Geek Files for this week. So, this week, a uh, Game of Thrones episode. Some great moments in this week's episode. I'm loving how it's building. I just really hope we get some payoffs in the finale, because it seems like they're really running towards some. So, let's start with... Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit in this episode, because it's been a little while since I watched it, but there are some points that I definitely wanted to hit. So, we have Jamie and the Tyrells getting ready to wage war on the Sept and the High Sparrow. But just before... We think that the Sparrow is going to insist that Marjorie do the nude scene and do the walk of shame. There's an ace in his sleeve. Jamie and Lord Tyrell ride in with their armies, saying that they're there to get Marjorie and Loris, and they're not going to let him shame the Tyrells family by having Marjorie do the same walk that Cersei did. And the Sparrow already has anticipated this. Now, we don't they don't tell us whether or not it's because he talked to Tommen or what, but we realize now that we realize now that the High Sparrow has an ace up his sleeve, and he and Marjorie are using each other to gain control over Tommen, who now aligns himself with the Faith Militant to keep his wife from being shamed. Jamie and Cersei are furious, because this means now that the High Sparrow has his claws deep into Tommen, which was the last thing they wanted, and it makes, makes the people of King's Landing like Tommen and the Faith Militant even more, so the, the control that the Sparrow has on the city now is almost, you know, unbreakable. Tommen even strips Jamie of his title of Kingsguard and sends him off to fight the Blackfish at Riverrun. We have a little scene where Cersei and Jamie are arguing about this and make out, but other than that, that's kind of 
the big deal in King's Landing right now. So we realize that Tommen is being completely manipulated, and we don't know if it's for the right or the wrong side. Okay, let's skip back over to Bravos. So Arya is still in disguise at the theater, but she ends up having a close moment with the actress that she's assigned to kill. She realizes that the woman is not necessarily a bad person, she's a better actress, and we kind of see that Arya is now realizing that as much as she wants to learn how to kill, she doesn't want to kill indiscriminately. And she makes a choice in the end that made everyone want to cheer. And there's been so many things jumping around the internet and on Tumblr about Arya being back. Like, basically, the girl with no name is taking back her name and who she is, at least on some level, because she doesn't want to be another pawn ending innocent lives. So she, you know, she basically makes this choice. She knocks the poison out of the woman's hand right before she drinks it, and then just turns into a true little badass. She basically points at the at the other actress that wanted her, warns the woman, then goes and gets needle from where she hid it long ago and puts it under her pillow. The only scene about this whole thing that made me a little bit nervous was after all this goes on we see the waif talking to the faceless man who's wearing Jack and Hager's face at the moment and we find out that the waif has wanted to kill Arya all along and now she's being given permission to do so because Arya failed her mission blatantly. I really hope this doesn't mean that Arya is about to die this season. If she does, I'm going to be so mad. I hope that her having Needle will give her an advantage in fighting against the Waif, because so far the Waif has been kicking her ass slowly but steadily, and even though Arya is getting better, the Waif was still thrashing her in the stick fights. So hopefully her little Needle will give her the advantage she needs not to get killed before the end of the season. Now, Bran and Mira up in the frozen north are struggling through the blizzard. We basically pick up with them right after last week left off. Hodor's sacrifice bought them a little bit of time, but not enough, because Mira was just walking on foot and dragging Bran's sled while he was having all these crazy visions. So she struggles for as long and as hard as she can, and she ends up collapsing out of exhaustion, and they're almost overtaken, and she's apologizing and trying to fight them off to protect Bran, when someone rides out of the snow to save them. So a couple interesting things about this scene. One, the most interesting thing I found was the visions that Bran is having. Now these go really, really fast. So if you recorded this on your DVR or you can rewatch it somewhere, try and slow these scenes down and take a look. Because one thing that we that we did when we watched it was we went back and watched these scenes and tried to pause it and see what we were looking at in certain places. Now we see Wildfire. We see Mad King Ares for the first time. So he was cast for this season. And that makes me wonder how much more we're going to see of him in Bran's visions of the past. So we see him shouting the burn them all, burn them all, which we've heard alluded to when various people have told the story of the Mad King. Especially, I believe, Jamie when he was being held captive by the Starks quite a few seasons ago. So we see that, you know, we see that Bran's having visions, but he wakes up right as they're about to be overtaken by the undead, and then the hooded figure shows up. Now, the hooded figure reveals himself later on after they're safe, well, or at least away from that particular part of the army, as Bran's uncle Benjen, who disappeared, I believe, back in the very first episode. So he basically tells them that the children of the forest helped him survive a White Walker attack so he didn't turn into one of their undead soldiers, and the way they saved him was the same way that they created the White Walkers, with Dragonglass through the heart. So we know now that Dragonglass is the cure for someone turning, and it's also the way to kill them, because we've seen Sam kill a walker with Dragonglass, we've seen Mira use a Dragonglass spear to kill a walker... 
So, and we've seen John use dragon glass, I believe, to kill a walker at some point. So, maybe the dragons are the key to fighting the walkers. And this would be a logical conclusion, and it would make sense why we need to get Danny over to Westeros. So, letting go of the north for a minute, let's fly back over to the phrase. Now, I hate the phrase. Like any Game of Thrones watcher, I hate the phrase. After the Red Wedding, whoever doesn't hate the phrase is in a minority camp. So, Walder Frey is one of those characters that ranks up there with Joffrey and Ramsay. Kill him. Kill him now, kill him with fire, kill him in some horrific way. We find out that he still has Edmure Tully and his wife captive, and he rails against his sons that lost control of Riverrun. So we learn that Baelish wasn't lying about the Blackfish retaking that location. And I'm excited to see that Jamie and Brienne are headed toward the same place, and possibly they might hook up again. This might be what convinces Jamie to pick the right side for once. Maybe he's going to help take down Ramsay, realizing just how evil he is. I could also see that Ramsay would be making a threat on Tommen, because Ramsay's just that kind of sadistic jerk, and you never quite know what he's capable of. So that could be another thing that might convince, or help Brienne convince Jamie to pick a side. Jumping back to Danny over on the other side of the Narrow Sea, we see her riding with her horde of Dothraki, her, her new army. And we get a little scene between her and Dario where he talks about her being a better conqueror than a ruler. And that's kind of true because we saw that she wasn't necessarily good at governing Marine, but she was definitely pretty good at overtaking these locations. And I think that knowing your strengths and weaknesses as a ruler or part of a ruling party is key. So this was an interesting point and this scene ended the episode on a high note and this was just one of those scenes that was written to rile up fans. So we see them riding around somewhere in the desert and then we see a shadow and we realize that one of Danny's dragons, Drogon, is flying around and Danny rides ahead and then comes back flying, riding on Drogon's back, lands and gives this battle speech that is a callback to the same one that Khal Drogo gave in the first season when she was pregnant. Basically telling all of her horde that she chooses them all as her blood riders, she's not going to pick three, and asking them if they're going to follow her loyally to fight against the Narrow Sea, over the Narrow Sea for her throne. And this riles up all the Dothraki, it kind of helps solidify how they think of her as this dragon rider goddess, and it just is a high point to end the episode on. So I'm still really curious for tomorrow night's another new episode. I can't wait to see. But there's also some stuff going around the internet that next season's only going to be seven episodes. So are they winding down? Are they trying to really rush toward how they want to end the show? Because we know that the books aren't going to be out. And they've a lot of this is now jumping into two different complete storylines with the same base material. So I have a feeling I have some predictions about where things are going, but it's too early to really call it. What do you think? Um, I started a thread in my group on Ravelry, so if you join join the group and jump in the thread, tell me what you think. If you think my theories are completely off base or that you are in the same camp, let, let's jump in and have a discussion about it. So the other thing we are going to talk about in Geek Files this week, because we are on a break from Fear the Walking Dead right now for their mid-season pause... So I went to the movies last weekend and saw X-Men Apocalypse. Now, I really enjoyed this because I was excited to see this because I really enjoyed Days of Future Past, which was the last movie in this particular X-Men setup. And I was curious to see how Sophie Turner would do as a young Jean Grey. Sansa Stark j jumps fandoms, basically. 
So this movie, unfortunately, is getting kind of slammed and panned by critics, and I don't always agree with the critics. There have been movies that I've loved that the critics hated, and there's been movies that the critics loved that I thought were boring as heck. So let me just start with, I really liked this movie. It's a little long, and it does suffer from some slumps, but overall, almost all the actors did their characters well, and it worked for me. I wasn't a huge fan of the villain this time around, but he's a villain, and you're not really supposed to like him. I just think that he was kind of an odd villain. The way he was done was a little bit boring, sort of. So it's, But it's part of the character, so you kind of have to like look at it from different angles. Now, let's look at the villain, because the title of this movie is X-Men Apocalypse, and Apocalypse is the villain. Now, he's played by Oscar Isaac, who played Poe Dameron in the new Star Wars The Force Awakens film, but you can't really tell that it's him unless you're really good at voice identification, because he has so much uh, makeup, they put so many prosthetics and things on this particular villain, that you don't really see his face, so he's mostly acting through his voice a little bit and through his eyes when you get a close-up on him. So the beginning of the film kind of starts off a little bit shaky, and this this is partly, I think, why it's getting panned, because a lot of, I think a lot of critics, if you don't get, like, grabbed in the first five or ten minutes of the movie, I think they kind of just assume that the whole thing sucks. But I don't think that's true. So what they're trying to do here is they're trying to explain who Apocalypse is, because his story goes far back. He's not just suddenly created by jumping into, you know, a vat of ooze like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So he's supposedly one of the very first mutants, and we get to see him ruling Egypt. Now, it seems like he was part of the driving force behind the pyramids. He was being worshipped as a god. And one of the neat things this movie did was it took that he was using the pyramids uh, to somehow harness the sun's energy to help transfer his consciousness from body to body. And the story goes that he always kept four powerful mutant henchmen around him, hence the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So we have uh, Apocalypse and his henchmen using the sunlight and the pyramids and some kind of technology that harnesses it to help him absorb other mutants' abilities, magnify them, and transfer his consciousness. During one of these transfers, there's some sabotage, which actually looks pretty cool, and he ends up buried and hibernating for eons as his transfer is interrupted until he's awoken by sunlight penetrating his tomb in common day. So we're still in the McAvoy timeline, to quote Deadpool, and this point the film takes us to Magneto and Professor X. And so Magneto's made a life for himself, living undercover in Poland. He has a wife and daughter, but all is not happy in paradise. I don't want to spoil too much of that for you. But then we jump over and Professor X has started his school. And this is where we get to see a young Jean Grey who's actually played very well by Sophie Turner. This Jean Grey is not in full control of her powers yet, but we see through her interactions with the professor that he's aware that her power is like on a whole nother level. It's just not quite trained or tapped yet. So we, you know, different things happen. I don't want to give away too much of this film because I feel like everybody should go see it and it's a fairly new release. But don't, basically, my advice on this movie is don't make a snap judgment too quickly. It is a long film, but it really, I felt like, built, it wasn't the best X-Men film I've ever seen, but it was definitely worth the ticket. It's a good popcorn movie. It's a fun beginning of summer blockbuster. There's a lot of neat effects in it. 
And the only spoiler I'm going to give is regarding the character of Quicksilver. Now, this isn't a huge spoiler because parts of his scene were released as the teasers. So this isn't going to give away too much of the plot and when he's on the poster. So Quicksilver is played by an actor named Evan Peters. And he is one of the best parts of the movie, in my opinion. Um, I'm a fan of his from his work in American Horror Story, especially, especially the first season. And Evan Peters just nails the character of Quicksilver with the charm that makes you smile. Uh, Another reviewer summed up his likability really well. Like, in a world where mutants are hunted and always, like, having this hard time controlling their powers or connecting with people, Quicksilver has his powers basically under control and he enjoys using them. He's funny and attractive and his humor that he uses during his super speed sequences is great. It just kind of gives you that, like, little, like, giggle in the movie, that little breath of fresh air, that positive energy that keeps you engaged through all the negative stuff. So that that was my, my take on this movie. Quicksilver has a great entrance and the use of music with the character Chris Quicksilver is great. He He's just like the character that he's the glue. He's not the main point of the movie but he's what keeps you watching. So I, for one, would love to see a Quicksilver movie or a movie where he plays a larger part. And they kind of hint in this movie that he may play a larger part in the films down the road, that he's going to be a bit more involved. And I think that's actually a smart choice on the point of the writers and the producers because he's obviously one of the most well-liked characters in this new reincarnation of the series. So I'm not going to give away too much more than that. It's a fun watch. You want to try to limit potty breaks in this movie, even though it's long, as there's some little things that you might miss if you're not paying attention. Um, but you even get a little Wolverine cameo in this movie. But he shows up and does his things, doesn't steal the plot too much. And overall with this mo- movie, to sum up, Quicksilver's the new fandom crush. Thank you very much. So I hope you enjoy it. What movies are you guys watching recently? Jump into the thread and let me know. And to jump into random roster, so one thing I talked about a week or two ago was uh, going back to San Diego Comic-Con, which is coming up very quickly. There was an off-site event called Funco Fun Days, and I tried to get tickets to this the other day on the 1st, but they were sold out in like under a minute and a half. So I got on at like 12.01 and there was already a wait list. So fingers crossed that I get lucky, but I'm not expecting anything. So... And speaking of SDCC, it looks like badges are starting to get mailed out. I've seen some people on Twitter just starting to get theirs. So if you're going and you got a badge, watch your mailbox. And supposedly it's a really discreet looking envelope. So check every envelope you get. Don't throw anything away thinking it's another credit card offer because you might accidentally toss your badge. So there's information about this on the San Diego Comic-Con website. Some other things that are coming up about SDCC is you can start checking the blogs about uh, exclusives. They've been announcing a lot of different things, especially if you're a toy collector. So I've seen lots of different updates about all the different companies that are bringing exclusives to SDCC. And one of the best resources I've found for news about this is a blog that is called the San Diego Comic-Con Unofficial Blog, if you Google that. And it is a great resource. I have it bookmarked on my Uh, bookmark folder and it has a lot of really good articles about things that are coming up and different announcements. And lastly today in Random Roster, I may have talked about this company before but this popped up again and it is something that I want, I wish I could afford. It is a company called Slipstitch Studios that makes project bags and these are absolutely, absolutely awesome. 
They are bags that are designed for knitting and projects, and they are done in really cool patterns. I know that I probably talked about one way back when, because she has a Walking Dead one, but I found an even cuter one that has like a Ouija board print fabric. Um, she's got them in several different designs, and they come with little internal mini storage bags to put like, I would assume, stitch markers or small skeins or sock projects in and they look extremely well made and they're very cute so like they have room for a project yarn there's organizer pockets inside and outside the bag so you can have your needles so they don't get tangled up with things and they are awesome and these guys it looks like they're designed to fit large projects like sweaters and afghans and then it looks like she makes some different sizes and things as well so I would definitely check them out. They're at www.slippedstitchstudios.com. So this designer is awesome. The more I look through her site, the more things I wish I could buy here. She has little even sock project bags. I might have to go ahead and snag one of these because these are a little bit more in my budget at the moment, but they're all adorable. So um, that's going to be the show for this week. I hope that your knitting is treating you well and that you've had fun days at the movies. And hopefully next week, episode will be out on time. The summer is going to be a little bit crazy here just because different plans and things are going on. Um, once my little guy gets into his summer camps, my schedule should kind of go back to normal. But I apologize if my schedule's a little off in the next two weeks. So I hope you guys are enjoying the beginning of summer. And remember, as always, the best place to be is a little bit beyond normal. Have a good week. <laughs>